Philippians chapter number 2, please. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I know you were just seated, but if you can and will, would you stand with us? We'll begin reading with verse number 25. I tell you, let's back up and read verse 24 through verse 30. The Bible says, uh, the Bible says in verse 24, Philippians chapter number 2, but I trust in the Lord that I uh, also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because the, that ye had heard uh, that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him, therefore, the more carefully, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Thank you for standing. I'm interested tonight in Epaphroditus, a charming Christian. Epaphroditus, a charming Christian. You all were able to laugh uh, at me. We all were able to laugh together uh, the Sunday that we took the word to Telestai. I couldn't get it out, could I? I practiced it all week and then called a, our message to a couple of guys and asked them, look, can you tell me? Then Hayden, I've got a bracelet she sent or give to me, and she handed it to me the Sunday after. I still pronounced it wrong. And they got tickled and thought I was doing it on purpose. I've worked on it some since. I want to say it right. In 2006, I was thinking about this today. Uh, In 2006, Brother Buddy Hayes was the pastor of Victory Baptist Tabernacle in Montevale, Alabama. In June of every year, they have an annual camp meeting. And for about three years, I was privileged to preach in the night services. Two of those years with Brother Doug Bearden. Brother Don Sable back in those days closed all the morning services just before noon. And I preached one night from this passage. And I called him, I'll have to look at his spelling, Epaphroditus, the whole message, Epaphroditus. When I read the text, when I preached him, uh, Epaphroditus. He was Epaphroditus all night. Um, We were about to leave and go back to the hotel for the night. And uh, Brother Doug Bearden, he said, what would you call that fellow tonight? And I said, Epaphroditus. He said, okay, okay. Never cracked a smile. The next morning, we showed up for church. Nobody said anything to me about the pronunciation except Brother Doug Bearden. He asked me that morning. He said, now, how do you pronounce that fellow's name? And I told him, Epaphroditus. That's how I say it. And then at the lunch table, he asked me again. He said, preacher, you know I'm picking at you. He said, now, we may all be wrong. You may be right. But we say Epaphroditus. And then he chuckled. And we've laughed about it a time or two over the years. Since 2006, June of 2006, I've learned to pronounce his name and learned to appreciate him. He's he's the delightful Christian that you don't know much about him. You just don't know much about him. As a matter of fact, there are four servants in chapter 2, right? There's the supreme servant of the Father, Jesus. There's only one of him. There's the Apostle Paul. There's only a few of them. Only a few like Paul. There's Timothy. There's several like Timothy. There's several servants built like Timothy and geared like him. 
round about the church and churches. There's a multitude of people like Epaphroditus. I would say the church could not go on without people like Epaphroditus. Matter of fact, when I preached him over there, and it was a different, the whole emphasis was a little different. When I preached over there at Victory that night in that camp meeting, I titled it uh, Epaphroditus, the unsung hero of the church. He's the little man. He's the man behind the scenes. He's the lady that never gets any recognition. The, our churches would have closed their doors long ago were it not for people that in the background keep things going, keep things done, um, keep showing up, keep praying, keep reading their Bibles. And, and, and our churches have to have people like Epaphroditus. Now, I, I thought about this just in a practical sense. You could take an Epaphroditus and his family. You can take Epaphroditus and his cousin and his family. You can take his brother and his family, and you can build a sustainable church with him. Epaphroditus has proven himself. It takes time to do that. It takes testings to do that. It takes grace. It takes strength. Sometimes it takes a determination. Epaphroditus is very determined. He may have got sick. You know he nearly dies in the text. He may have got sick. And fell seriously ill en route to go see Paul. If that be the case, he had to have much determination. Much determination. But he's a man you can count on. You can count on him. Epaphroditus, the name itself means charming. And he's a man that lives up to the meaning of his name. I, I, you, most of you know that I have tons of books and things. And I ran up on a bargain recently where the college bookshop in Oxford was selling their bookshelves. And so I got a ton of books. I've got shelves now where I can put all my stuff up, and I'm grateful for that. Um, if you were to ask me for, uh, in, in the commentary section, if you were to ask me for a devotional writer, I'd tell you who that'd be quick. Um, that, that'd be Matthew Henry or the old Methodist J.D. Jones. Well, they'll, they'll aim right at the heart, and they'll draw you to Christ. There's an interesting writer of yesteryear's name's William Barclay. Some of you may have some of his commentaries. They were first put out in little paperbacks, just about yay thick. He had commentaries on most of the Bible. Let me tell you what he's valuable for. He's valuable for taking you back in history. He'll take you back, show you some things historically that'll help you to understand the text and what was going on in those days. Listen to what he wrote, and this is word for word from him. Uh, He points out, he calls it a dramatic story behind Epaphroditus. And this is what he says. He says, the Philippian church heard that Paul was in prison and that he was having an extremely difficult time. Their hearts went out to him. So they decided to do two things. Number one, they decided to take up an offering to meet Paul's material needs. And number two, they decided to send a dedicated layman who could remain with him and help him. Such a man would have to be brave, for by attaching himself to a man facing a capital crime, he would be leaving himself open to the charge of being an accomplice. By helping Paul, the man would be risking his own life, and the man chosen was Epaphroditus. While Epaphroditus was in Rome, Paul's under house arrest, right? Just a reminder, this is one of four prison epistles. There's Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. But while he's there, he, gets, he is sick nigh unto death. He nearly dies. 
he hazarded his life, Paul writes, for the cause of Christ. While he's there, word gets back to Philippi that our brother that we sent from our own congregation, uh, we sent the offering with him. Uh, we sent him to, be, to deliver the offering to help meet the needs of Paul, but to minister to him, to be a companion with him while he's under house arrest. And they find out that he's on his, not just his sick bed, but his death bed. And so they become grieved and concerned for him. Well, Epaphroditus, he learns that they're grieved for him, and he becomes grieved for them. And Paul's concerned about the both of them. I want you to notice, uh, notice with me, Epaphroditus, how that he fulfills his call as a Christian servant. Notice in verse number 25. Notice uh, Paul writes, uh, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. And I want to look at these phrases. My brother, and then he calls him companion in labor. Then he calls him fellow soldier. Then he calls him your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. First of all, Epaphroditus is a family servant. He calls him my brother. He's my brother. That's personal, isn't it, when he says my. But when he uses this word brother, it comes from a word that speaks to be of the same womb. To have common origin. Um, it's interesting how that this is a title of endearment. Uh, it's instructive beyond that, but it's a title of endearment. Paul has no heirs about him. I've said this before uh, since we've been in the book of Philippians. But he doesn't refer to Timothy as though Timothy is beneath him. He, he doesn't refer to Epaphroditus as though he is beneath him. As a matter of fact, he's not like Joseph's brethren. His brothers, he has no heirs about himself. But he refers to him as my brother. He's my brother. And I thought about this too. It's interesting, isn't it? How that Paul and Epaphroditus, he makes him his equal. He didn't have to do that. It says something of Paul. We know Paul before he was saved as Saul of Tarsus. Saul means big. Did you know that Paul means little? He lived up to the meaning of his name. He never thought he graduated. We get to the third chapter, you'll see that magnified and underlined. It's interesting, isn't it? He says, Epaphroditus, my brother. Uh, sometimes in, in, uh, sometimes you, you, you see families. There's three siblings, four siblings, five siblings. Um, I have a preacher friend. They have about seven children. I think they thought they were supposed to be Catholic instead of Baptist. Um, but And you know I'm just kidding about that. But sometimes you meet siblings and, and you think, boy, they don't come from the same family. You just look at them and watch their mannerisms and you think, well, they don't. Then you meet a grandparent or an uncle or a cousin and you think, ah, dead ringer. There are some similarities about us and yet there are some differences. Paul and Epaphroditus, they have some similarities about them and yet there are some differences. Paul is, as I said Sunday around here, he's the theologian of the New Testament, Right? Uh, he gives us at times a doctrinal treatise. And I hear people make fun of doctrine. Don't ever make fun of doctrine. It's what the church is built on. Doctrine. Doctrine should mean much to us. Paul's the great theologian. We don't even know if Epaphroditus ever even taught Sunday school. Um, Paul was known throughout the region and beyond. Nobody probably knew who Epaphroditus was outside the church at Philippi. And whoever lived right nigh him at his home. Um, we're still preaching Paul's sermons 
Nobody knows what Epaphroditus has started to say it wrong. None of us know what he may have done, what he may have said. We don't even know if he ever testified in the church. But the church had confidence in him. They sent him to take care of this task, to get this offering, and to be by the side of the Apostle Paul. What is it that brings opposites together on the Lord's Day for worship? It is Calvary. It is Calvary. That's where we unite. That's where we gather together is around Calvary. Isn't it good? We all come from different places. I'm looking at the Owens back there. They come from Houston, down here at Houston. And then the Wilders, they're from over here on Highway 9. Uh, Warren Chapman's from Parts Unknown. Amen. He needs to wear a wrestling mask. Call himself from Parts Unknown. There's Miss Amy. She's from out at Hurricane. And we come up from the Troy community. Can any good thing come out of Troy? And, um, but isn't it amazing how we can come together on a Sunday and, and God can knit our hearts together around the Word of God? Brother Ken Trivet was telling about preaching a meeting in the area where his grandparents live. And so he scheduled a day to just get up and go over there and spend the day with them while they were still living. This is. This happened some time ago, of course. And he said something, made a unique statement. He said that uh, at lunchtime, said the grandmother put lunch on the table and said they, uh, said they, they three sat down at the table and said the granddaddy said, Ken, it's good to have you at the table again. And I'm going to tell you, it's good to be at the table again tonight. It was good to sit around the table here Sunday morning. It'll be good if God lets us see and lets us live to this coming Lord's Day. It'll be good to sit around the table again, won't it? Some of you preach me to death. You teach me to death. Uh, when I was out at Hurricane, Miss Glenda Hale was the lady that did that. Um, she and Coach sat right back here on my left. Coach is a man's man. Zane Hale, he, he's, he's still a man's man. At his age, still gets up and works every day. And Miss Glenda's the epitome of a Christian lady. And I would do on Wednesdays what I do here in her eyes just get big as a hubcap. She'd hang on to everything that was stated. That'd help you. That'd help you. And I never felt their equal. Never felt their equal. But when I was in their presence, I'm telling you, God would just uh, let me know I died for all three of you. I died for all three of you. He Epaphroditus fulfilled his call. He was a family servant. You do know there are many portraits of the church in the scriptures, don't you? And one of the portraits is that we're family. We are family. I, I love Miss Peggy Box beat me to the draw when Miss Michelle Moore was saved back here some weeks ago. She made this, I made two or three statements about baptism and church and what that will mean to her going forward. And Miss, Miss Peggy, I, I looked over there and she wanted to say something. And she said, she said, Michelle, you are a new creature in Christ, and you are now my sister. And I thought, glory to God, she knocked it out of the park. Um, don't overlook that. Chris Wilburn, you and I are brothers in Christ. You're sitting beside my sister. You're sitting in front of two of my sisters in Christ. I have brothers who have black skin all over this world. I have brothers who have red skin all over this world. I have brothers who have olive-colored skin 
all over this world. Some of my brothers and sisters in Christ can't speak English. Um, don't feel sorry for them. I can't either. Bye-bye, Lucy. Lucy. She didn't look around, did she? Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. That's my granddaughter, by the way. Epaphroditus, he fulfilled his call. He's a family servant. Number two, he's a friend in service. I love this. Look at verse number 25. Notice the phrase, he calls him my companion in labor. Did you know the word companion? That's, it means friend. Someone has said, if you have a friend in this world, you're wealthy. Wealthy beyond compare. Many are our acquaintances in this walk of life. Very few true friends. With friendship, there's no distance, though there may be distance. With friendship, there's no, um, uh, there's, there's no withdrawal. There's no competition. There's no jealousy, no rivalry. Paul is saying here when he says he's my companion in labor, look back in chapter number 1, verse number 27. What he's saying is, is that he is my fellow. We're laboring for the same cause. Look at verse 27 of chapter 1. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast. Listen to what he's saying to the church. That you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Look at chapter 2, verse number 2. He says, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded having the same love, being of one cord, of one mind. And so what he's saying here is that that we share the gospel together. We labor in the gospel together. Uh, We try to reach souls, and we do it together. And we should be about the same business, and we all should be together. I was uh, asking Amanda about another pronunciation. You studied him in school. Is it Louis Pasteur or Louis Pasteur? I was reading the story today of when, back in his day, uh, he was one of the first immunologists. And back in his day, thousands of people died because of rabies. And he worked on the vaccine for a long time. And when he got close to uh, feeling like he had brought the vaccine to where it needed to be to save lives, uh, he was ready to start testing on himself. And there was a little fellow by the name of Joseph Meister. He was a nine-year-old boy. His mom knew that he was working on the vaccine. So she come to him. Her son had rabies. He'd been bitten by a rabid dog. They expected him to die if he did not receive specialized treatment. And God didn't do something. And so um, Joseph Meister's mom begged Beg, Pastor, please, experiment on my son. He was going to start experimenting on himself any day. She said, please, I'm afraid my son will die. Please, please experiment on my son. It's the only hope he has. For 10 straight days, he was given the vaccine, and he pulled through. And he got on his feet, and he lived. When Pastor would die some decades later, Before he died, his family, when trying to make plans, his burial plans, asked him, what would you like to put on your tombstone? It's interesting what he said. This is what he said. He said, put on my tombstone, Joseph 
Meister lived. One of our ladies has recently led a, Lord, led a lady to the Lord. We've got one of our preachers that's talking to a young man that is soaking up the gospel. I say glory. One of the greatest joys outside being saved yourself is seeing a child or a loved one saved, but then bringing someone outside your family, bringing them to Christ. Would it be that... Uh, Maybe on our tombstone one day, somebody could have, um, uh, could, could have Punatok Monument engraved on the bottom, Joe Brown lived. Uh, Susie Smith lived. And then the family would be able to say, oh, that, that, may, that was somebody they led to Jesus. And now they live. Someone has said that the Christian should keep the faith just not to himself. I like that. Thirdly, Paphroditus was a fellow soldier. Notice this word, fellow soldier. A companion soldier. He said, we fight this fight together, a fellow soldier. Now, be mindful of the fact that he's under house arrest. You remember we talked about this in chapter number 1, verses 12 to 19, on the things that happened under Paul. You, you remember the custom was that the that the Praetorian Guard, the 10,000 elite soldiers, it would have been the SEAL Team 6 of the day. Um, you remember they changed shifts when they would guard a prisoner. Every six hours there was another prisoner that would come in and shackle himself to the Apostle Paul. So every day he is looking at these soldiers of the Roman army. These of the Imperial Guard. These of the Secret Service. Um... And so when he, when he writes to the church at Philippi, we believe Epaphroditus took this letter back to them. He didn't know, but when the pastor of the church got up to read it, he called him one of the imperial guard. Maybe somebody looked back over the shoulder, Epaphroditus, a soldier of the imperial guard? Maybe somebody would have asked the pastor after the service and he would have said, oh, yes, yes, he's just as important as I am in the cause of Christ. He's a fellow soldier, member of the elite army of Jehovah. I looked up the words to the little song. You would think at my age I wouldn't have to. The little kid song in church, I'm in the Lord's army. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never shoot for the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, I'm in the Lord's army. Uh, one preacher from Georgia many years ago, he talked about playing football. And Donald, he said, I never did get start. But he said, after we'd play on Friday night, I got to go to the Tasty Freeze with the rest of them. Epaphroditus. He's a charming Christian. A soldier knows something about discipline, and a soldier knows something about danger. A soldier. I couldn't help but think of the verses, 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, which say, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. 
Epaphroditus is the kind, much like a mother in a street in an inner city, perhaps today, somewhere in America. Here comes a car speeding down the block, and the mother sees her son, and she reaches and grabs him and throws him out of the way, and yet throwing herself in harm's way the whole time. That's a mother's love. I told you about, uh, I told you about Brother Carol Dodds. He's been with the Lord now for a lot of years. Um, when I was at Thrasher, I got to know Brother Carroll. He taught a training union class out in the sanctuary, did an excellent job. He was in the book of Matthew. had just about covered it um, the time that I was there. Uh, did an excellent job. He got wounded in Vietnam. Some of the men, Ronnie Johnson and Peel Chase, and some of them had told me about Carroll, how that he reached and got a soldier by his uniform and drug him out of harm's way, and he took a bullet for it. And those men looked at him like a hero, as he ought to be looked at. And one Sunday night, it was just he and I. We were turning the lights off and the air and locking up. And I felt liberty to ask him about his situation. And I said, now, that'd make you a hero, Brother Carroll. Thank you for your service. He said, no, preacher, I'm not a hero. He said, really, you don't know what you'll do in a situation like that until you're put there. He said, I'll tell you who the heroes are. He said, my drill, and, my drill instructor, he was my hero. He was the hero in the situation. He said, what I learned in AIT and, and then in combat training. He said, those who taught me, he said, my instincts kicked in. He said, I didn't even hear the rounds coming. I saw my fellow soldier down. And he said, I grabbed him. And I said, I didn't even know I was hit until we got to safety. You see, that's the way Epaphroditus is, Brother Chris. Well, he didn't know he was hit. It's just a lie for him. I would say our church has a number of Epaphroditus that help make our membership up. I could call some, I could call some names out. But their names never get mentioned around here. Um, I'm thinking about Tanya Howard right now. I didn't write her name down to say it tonight. Tanya's husband, Andy, has been a lifelong friend almost. I've known him since I've been a teenager. Andy's not in good health. Hasn't been for a long time. Tanya's working at West Union School, and she's going to school. You know how busy Emmy is. She has a very active daughter. Ever since I've known Tanya, Tanya's been a worker. When I say worker, I mean a worker. Where she went to church before she came here, she held many positions. She was basically the one that got things done around the church. Sitting in a business meeting one night, they needed somebody to run the soundboard. She didn't know anything about it. Her sitting right there, they elected her to do it. We've got a lot of them like that around here. People you can build a church with. You don't have to impress them. Just show up and say, preacher, preach to me. That's, all, that's what I need right now. Preach to me. Open the Bible and preach to me. It's what I want. It's what I need. It's what I come for. Didn't come for any fanfare. Donald, I'd say you are an Epaphroditus. I have probably talked to 12 preachers today. Probably 12 preachers. And one of them is Jason Watts. This is what he said. 
he said, uh, he said, you pass word on to Donald Talent that I appreciate his discernment. He took me back about, uh, uh, it was right after I come here. Um, Brother Will Busby, Brother Jay Knight, Brother, um, Brother Reese Ward, and Brother Cody Moore, they had asked me, could we spend a few days together? We don't want you to preach to us, don't want you to give any formal teaching, just, let's just sit around. We want to pick your brain. Give us two or three days. And Joe Cochran, y'all know Joe Cochran, good man. They've got a cabin at Smith Lake. Jay, you remember this, Brother Jay? You remember? The church paid for all the supplies that we cooked. And we ate like a bunch of hogs over there those few days. Matter of fact, those boys have wanted to go back. Just nearly every year, one of them has said something about going back. Here's what Brother Jason said. He said, you remember spending the evening talking to them about how vital it is that you walk in the Spirit and be able to discern the Spirit and the movings and workings of the Holy Spirit. I said, I remember that. He said, he said Donald Talent, y'all just had that singing over there. He said, I'm going to tell you about Donald. He said, they sing songs that help you. But he said, I could turn the service over to him and go home, and I'd never worry about it because of his discernment. I'd say he's an unsung hero. I'd say this couple right over here are, both of them, and many others. I could call many others. We don't have time. You wanted me to call your name, but I ain't going to. <laughs> Epaphroditus, let me say, fourthly, he was a faithful minister. He uses this word messenger. And the, the, the word messenger comes from the word liturgent. It's a great word. It's used to express much meaning towards somebody. It was a title that would be given to a man or someone that would invest what they had in the community so that the community could benefit. The man himself would not benefit. He's the one bestowing a gift upon others so that they can benefit. He said, he's a liturgian. He said, that's who he is. He gave everything for you. And he gave everything for me. Robert Louis Stevenson, I was reading about him. Uh, he is the author of Treasure Island. And he and his family moved to the Samoan Islands and fell in love with the people, the atmosphere. And some of the Samoans were imprisoned. It was a political thing. And Stevenson had a heart for them and tried to reach them. And he would take them food to eat and he would see them and sit with them. He'd go back to his own home. Uh, he died. Uh, he was 60, 61, two years old, something like that. And he died. But after they finally were released from the political captivity, they wanted to do something for the man that cared for them. And they wondered what they could do. And one of them made the suggestion, instead of him coming through the underbrush, let's build him a road. And they took their, what we would call a machete, and other tools, and they cleared the undergrowth, and they built a road to his house, and they named it the Road to the Loving Heart. This road that has been built by Epaphroditus is the road of a loving heart. He cares. Thank God he does. Um, Epaphroditus fulfilled. He filled his calling. Number two, and I'll give you this in brief and give you my last one in brief as well. But Epaphroditus loved his church. He's a member of the church at Philippi. 
Everybody that names the name of Christ ought to be a member of a church. And a church is something you can see. It's not just brick and mortar. But it's a gathering you can see. That's what a church is. The majority of what's written to a church in the New Testament is written as something you can see. Um, we, we get calls. Uh, I do. I don't know if these guys get any messages or anything. Um, but I do. I do. Uh, from men that, that listen to the Facebook thing that goes out. Zach Green, I hope you meet him on Old Fashioned Day. He's going to try to make it work. You talking about swallowing the sunshine, buddy. That big rascal swallowed a good dose of joy somewhere. His daddy preaches just like him. I want him to come. His daddy come to me at LaGrange, Brother Frankie Green, and he, he wept in the aisle for a little bit. And this is what he said. He said, you are my son's mentor. That humbles me, just humbles the, the fire out of me. And then we said some other things among ourselves. And I'm glad, and thank you, men, for what you do, for putting it, uploading it to the website, Brother Jay. We've got people who listen. We have people, we have people I respect greatly that listen to you that sing and listen to the messages around here. So it's not in vain what these guys are doing behind the scenes. It's not in vain. Our church has a ministry. But let me say something right here. Anybody, whether you would listen to this, if it goes out later and you are listening, or you know somebody that's trying to plug in to an internet ministry somewhere, that is not church. You can't see that. I'm glad that there are people all over that go to church somewhere and then listen to this after a while. I appreciate that. You don't have to tithe to something you can't see. You don't have to attend and be accountable to something you don't see. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Here's what we know. Epaphroditus loved this church, right? He becomes grieved because they're grieved. They're worried about him. He's worried about them. Epaphroditus loved this church, and his church loved him. Epaphroditus loved Paul, and Paul loved him. The church at Philippi loved Paul, and Paul loved them. That doesn't happen overnight, does it? That grows, that grows, and that grows, that grows. That grows out of a love we have for Jesus Christ. And we love our church family. Let me give you this lastly, and I'll be brief with it as well. Epaphroditus fulfilled his call. He loved his church, and then he sacrificed all for Jesus Christ and his cause. Look at the phrase, nigh unto death. Look at verse 27, then look at verse number 30. Then you'll see a companion Phrase that goes along with it. In verse number 27, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death. He told him in verse 26, he said, you heard about it. He said, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he had heard that he had been sick. He said in verse 27, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death, right up near death's door. 
He said, for indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Then in verse number 30, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Nigh unto death, not regarding his life, risking it all just to be a blessing. Risking it all. Someone has said and well said that a religion that costs nothing is good for nothing. I agree. Now, in verses 27 to 29, we won't take the time to read it, but you'll find that his sacrifice was to be received by the church. He was to be appreciated, in other words, by his church. He was to be received well. The Bible says, hold such in reputation. Honor him. He may have sat back in the back. We don't know. We don't know. He might have been, if he were living in our day, one of those that watched the security screen so that we could sit in peace. We don't know. If Epaphroditus were a lady, it might have been a lady that would have kept the nursery so that other mothers could sit out in the service and hear the preaching. We don't know. But we do know this. He said, hold such in reputation. I wonder when they found out just how poor his health was and that he might die. And yet one day, here he comes. He's got a scroll rolled up, a writing, a letter from the Apostle Paul. He comes walking into the fellowship. I wonder if tears begin to roll down their face. I wonder if they just stopped. One of them got up and went and hugged his neck and said, boy, we've been worried about you around here. Didn't know how much... We loved you until we realized you might be gone. You know who I'm thinking about right now? Gary McGregor. Few of you, few of you, you were at his funeral. I'm telling you God's honest truth. Every Sunday when I pulled up, he was right here at the corner of the building. He'd be propped up on his, uh, the bed of his truck, that old white Ford pickup. He'd be propped up on the bed of his truck. He'd watch me like a hawk. He wouldn't even wave, wave out. I don't know if he couldn't see my hand go up or what. I'd wave at him like I do some of you. If you're here whenever I get here, and he'd never he'd watch me like a hawk. I'd pull up, then I'd back up in my normal parking place out there. I'd get out. I, would, I learned not to throw my hand up then. I'd get out, and I'd get my coat, and I'd put my coat on, grab my Bible, tuck it under my arm, make it bark two or three times. You know what I'm talking about, my uh, vehicle. I'd hit the lock, and, and, uh, and then I'd turn around, I'd wave real big, and he'd wave real big. Then he'd come to the front door. And he'd wait on me to unlock. I guess you got to pastor people to appreciate that faithfulness. I loved him. I had no idea how much I loved him until his funeral. And, and uh, it went beyond getting choked up. I had no idea. It just hit me all of a sudden. That I wouldn't be seeing him when I pulled on the parking lot anymore. But I'll see him on the other side. Maybe when I make the cross and he'll... I had no idea what kind of impact our church made on him. Dr. Kermit McGregor, uh, I believe he was the first cousin of him. He was pastoring down at Cook Memorial. When he left, he just felt like maybe it would be best if he eased out of the church. And uh, uh, someone close to him said, go up to charity. 
go up to charity. And he said, I was going to visit here and visit a few more places. He said, I never visited any other place. He told me about that, but his family told me at the funeral, said, y'all will never know what y'all meant to Gary. Thank you for loving him, for welcoming him. Thank you that he felt like he had a place. I can tell this on him because he won't hear it. If he hears it, he got to take it up with me on the other side. Y'all remember the first time he come in with the oxygen under his nose? He had a lot of pride about him. He's afraid somebody would say something. Some of you know about that. He told me that old gruffy voice out front one, one Sunday. He said, I can't hardly sit there. I'm going to have to bring my oxygen. Hey, better not anybody say anything to me about it. I said, anybody going to say anything to you? Come on in. I don't want these kids staring at me either. I said, well, I can't promise that. But you'll be all right, and you'll find out we'll accept you with an oxygen bottle. God brings us from all different places. This brother was received by his church, and Paul told them to do that. What a homecoming it must have been. What a reward he'll probably receive from the Lord. Brother Jay and I were talking about uh, we'd love to go uh, perhaps on an African safari and shoot big game. I'd just like to see if, I'd like to see what an elephant would do with a 270. He'd probably just flinch and go on. Probably laugh at me. Be like whenever I was messaging Warren, Aaron took Nathan's what was it, an AR-15? Deer hunt, who's in my shooting house. I went over to my neighbor's and sat under the carport. And I messaged Warren. I said, Aaron's got two does out in front of him in my shooting house. He said, tell me if he kills one. And hearing a little bit that AR, I said, sound like a Daisy BB gun. Can I get a witness? I can pick at him now. He's going to leave us. Second, I said, he just shot twice. And Warren said, do you think he got one? I said, I think both those were giggling when they trotted out of the field. <laughs> Forgive me. Have mercy on me, my brother. <clears throat> That'd probably be what it'd be if I ever shot something, a big game over in Africa. But President Roosevelt was traveling home. He'd been on a big game hunt in Africa. He had his honorage with him whenever they landed and docked in port. There were people that welcomed him. Reporters were taking notes, shouting questions as he and those that were traveling with him as they made their way to their transportation. A little missionary couple that had spent their best years in Africa, nobody was there to meet them. It bothered the little lady. She'd given up so much, not got to see her grandchildren grow up great-grandchildren. They were coming home because their health had broken. And uh, the man, knowing that his wife was bothered, said this, and I quote, my dear wife, cheer up. This is not as yet our homecoming. A better day awaits us. I say glory. Epaphroditus is a charming Christian. You've probably learned this about me now. My heroes in faith, in the faith, have always been those that never get any recognition. And they don't do what they do so that they can be recognized. They just do it because it's right. 
Just do it. Feel like the old man that showed up one night after he got saved, tornadoes had come through, they'd canceled services. Come to find out he had shown up, sat in the dark by himself. Somebody said, what in the world were you here for? He said, I was afraid I was going to miss something. I've met a lot of charming Christians over the years. I look forward to meeting you, Pat Proditus. Let's stand.